0: Good morning. Good morning. It's going to be really hard to follow that. <laughs> Whoever comes up after the kids is just going to lose. Uh, my name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here and really, really happy to see you all and be together as a church. Um, I'm usually not the storyteller and uh, but I wanted to take this uh, next few minutes to tell you a little bit of the story of our church and um, I kind of feel like a need to sync up a little bit. And um, my feeling is you know, about seven years ago, this church called me to help lead the charge to do turnaround work at our church. And I'm not sure what I'm basing this on, but I kind of feel and have been feeling like we've sort of come full circle. There's been really good work and courageous work that we've all done together as a church, and there's this call and uh, invitation to uh, be the church in such a time as this, and it feels like we have the resources and uh, sort of the convergence of mindset and resources to do this and respond yes to this call, and I wanted to Uh, share a little bit about that today. I hope it comes across okay. Um, This church has been going on for about 80 years, and so we're not reinventing anything, uh, but it's kind of a refresh and uh, an opportunity to live into the next 80 years and to uh, uh, just run with this baton that we've been passed. And so let's see if we can uh, sync up a little bit today. There are two words in the Greek Bible for time, for the word time. And the first is the word chronos. And chronos is talking about sort of the passage of time, history, you know, the clock ticks whether we are conscious of it or not. And that's chronos. Chronological is the word that uh, we have in the English language. And then there's another word, though, in the Greek. It's the word kairos. And it also means time. But it doesn't mean like the passage of time. It means the moment, like right now. Now is the time. Now is the opportunity. Now is something we need to be attentive to. And that's the word kairos, because something is happening. So when the Bible, for example, says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, that's not Chronos, That's kairos. That there is a kind of fullness, a sort of, a, God should never use pregnancy as a metaphor, but sort of like, we're ready, you know, uh, to, to uh, engage in a moment Here, And whenever there's sort of an intersection of normal time and moment time, that's what I would call a call. There's an opportunity or an invitation by God to say, hey, hey, wake up. I know time's been moving along in your life, but now is the time. Pay attention. There's an opportunity for you to engage in work that I've been already doing. I want you to join me now. Open your eyes wide to it and focus On it. And so I think there's a call here for our church as we've come full circle. We have a name, uh, I think, that reflects this call. Before we get to that, just a little history here. Our church was first uh, gathered as a church called Mercer Island Community Sunday School. Was anybody here during that time when it was called that? Polly, not even you? Not quite? You don't remember. It's, it's a long time ago. Um, and then it was Mission Covenant Church. Do you remember that? Okay. Mercer Island Community Church, then it was called. And then it was Island Community Church. They decided to get efficient and drop Mercer, I guess. And then it became what a lot of us knew it as, Mercer Island Covenant Church. And that name came with Pastor Bud Palmberg. And uh, I think he had another name before Mercer Island Covenant Church, but he doesn't remember. And nobody else does, so it's Mercer Island Covenant Church. And then that's when I came, and then we called it Evergreen Covenant Church. And actually, the guy that designed our logo is sitting right there, Steve Andrews. Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. The word evergreen is the Hebrew word ra'anan, and it's translated in the new English, uh, in the new international version as always green. It's our word evergreen. Not the tree, but just the state of being alive. The state of being fruitful and healthy and resilient and vibrant. And it comes from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8. And the verse goes like this. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear Fruit. Two ideas I want to lift from this verse that uh, the revisioning team used when they were um, sort of thinking through this stuff for our church. Uh, The first is this idea that our church is called to be by the water. You think about this idea that a tree with all of its potential for life is nothing without water. And it's not just water once, but it's water perpetually. And so you want to be planted by a stream that's flowing with water so that you can live and live and keep on living through the seasons, through drought, through pests, through whatever happens around you. You are connected to a water source. And the idea is that you are not your own source. You don't have all that you need, but you are, op- you are an open source. And our culture uses this to mean that it's not just smart people in a room, but it's smart people who are really smart, so they open up the room to all manner of input. If there is truth, if there is good, if there is beauty, we want it. If it's life-giving, we want to connect to it. If we need it, we're going to look for it. If we have a, if we have a need for an answer, we're going to ask the question, Right, That's what it means to be open source. All living things are open source by definition because all of us are just sort of conduits. We're not somebody who contains everything that we need. We are vessels. We need to be filled. We need to be connected. That's the idea. And second, we are as a church a cooperative. A church by definition is a collective of human beings A church isn't a building, it isn't a name, it isn't on some piece of paper, but it's organisms, organic beings gathered together, functioning in a cooperating kind of way. So that's what we are by definition. And uh, one way to think about it is that we are learners. We don't have the answers, but we are seeking. We are wanting to grow. We're wanting to be challenged. We're wanting to be planted by the stream and when we are planted by the stream it allows us to stay always green or evergreen ra'anan. and when we are evergreen it means that we are resilient uh, we are going to go through various seasons and transitions and hardships and things are going to happen that we did not expect but through it all somehow we're going to make it right resilient And I think it also means that we are going to be multi-generational. The people that exist today, we are the descendants of our ancestors. And our ancestors were here before us. And we are the ancestors of our descendants. Have you ever thought about it that way? That you don't exist for yourself, but you exist to pass the baton. Life should not end with us and us alone. And so we respect the passing of the baton, and we respect our role in the passing of the baton. And I think there's something about our cultural moment that there's a call for us to be multi in general. So uh, you take that sort of idea of being evergreen that's our name, Evergreen, and I really wish it was more unique to our state, but it's not. It's sort of everywhere, but we are going to embody that and make it unique. But the call today as Evergreen comes into contact with this moment in time, this Kairos moment, this season, this culture, the vibrations of our society. I think one of the unique things about our church is we are called to be a third space. A first space is a space that's filled with one opinion. People are not differentiated from each other, it's kind of an echo chamber. We all agree, we all have to believe the same things, see the same ways, and that's a first space. And I don't think God's calling us to be a first space. We're supposed to be homogenous in look and in belief and just be an echo chamber to one another. That's not who we are. I think uh, that there's a call for us to be diverse, uh, not just in what we think, but also in how we look. This has been my dream forever since I was in high school, just believed That one of the core implications of the gospel is reconciliation. We're meant to look different and sound different and be different and figure out a way to be a third space. Oh, by the way, I skipped, didn't I? Second space. Second space is when nobody's allowed to have an opinion. When you have to be polite and suppressed and pretend that everything is great and never talk about anything. So we have people talking about one thing, people talking about nothing. Then a third space is where people can be their true selves. They can come and just be who they are, be multi, and we create space for that. And that's our call. And so we're called to be diverse. We're called to figure out how to engage our culture in helpful and healthy ways. Uh, Sometimes I call that being safe and holy. And all of that means that we are kind of a learning, asking, open, secure, and integrating rather than dichotomizing community. And really, I think at the heart of how to be a third space or a third place as a church is to speak the language of authenticity. There are a lot of languages in our culture, and some of them are read to us today Those are literal languages, but I think there are cultural languages, too. But I have learned that the one universal language is the language that's authentic, the language that's truthful, a language that's transparent. Authenticity is the universal language. And I think there's a call for us to be honest as a people, to be honest as a church. And honest means that we're not always going to be right It doesn't mean that we're going to be ready or timely. It's not going to be the last thought on the matter. Uh, It means that we're always going to need some time and space to arrive at even more honest thoughts. Uh, But I think the language we have to speak is the language of authenticity. And the way we're going to get there, the way we're going to create this third space is by belonging, that is being a community, and then by becoming, by learning and growing And then engaging, which means by serving, participating, and giving. And so this is our church, Evergreen Covenant Church, to be a third space by way of belonging, becoming, and engaging. I think this is the call. And I think this is a moment uh, that we're having. And so in summary, here's my ask. Some of you want to know, well, what do you want me to do? And hopefully you're thinking that. Here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to attend at least three times per month. That's a 50% improvement over the national average of church attenders, which is twice a month. Can we do this? It's really hard, isn't it? We can do this. Uh, I think it means that we are in a small group for most of the year. You can take a break. But for us to be in a small group space where we are actually getting to know one another and we have opportunities to be in each other's lives and do life together, I think that's really important. The third ask is for you to give away 10% of your gross income at least. Uh, It doesn't have to be to our church. The Bible doesn't specify church. The Bible doesn't even specify 10%, but it does say 10% as a minimum. The real standard is generosity. It's for God to have all of you. And the Bible suggests that 10% might be one of the ways to do that. And if some percentage or all percentage of that 10% lands at our church, we thank you. But we'd like you to do that regardless. And then fourth, fourth, Always be serving in some capacity. Never settle for just being consumers. Never settle for just sitting in the seat of judgment, critiquing how other people are serving. But get on the field yourself. And then lastly, always be pondering somebody to invite. Somebody that you feel like could really benefit from uh, coming to a church thing. You know opening that conversation or changing the conversation in that trajectory. So that's my ask and that's the story of our church right now. Thank you for listening to it. I'm going to read the scripture for us today as well. This morning, our scripture reading is from the Book of Judges. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading chapter twenty one. Verse 25 from the New International Version. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Peter. Oh, you coming back? <laughs> Was I preaching today? I wasn't sure. Um, just kidding. If you have ever wondered if what you have done in your life is too awful to be forgiven by God, you need to read the book of Judges, chapters 17 through 21, and afterwards, you are going to feel awesome about yourself. (laughs) These were the chapters that were assigned to me this week to preach on. Let's just say I chose that final verse to spare us all the gory details of what happened in the previous verses. There is enough war, mistreatment of the defenseless, and murder in the last part of Judges to make a violent movie of today look like a Disney film. We have an Israelite tribe murdering and overtaking a peaceful community. There is a cruel husband who sends his wife out to be mistreated, raped, and ultimately murdered by a gang of violent and evil men. We have Israelite tribes warring against each other and thousands upon thousands of lives lost. There is no person to look to as an example of faith. The Israelites are scattered from one another, corrupt, and the outlook of this community of God looks bleak. Isn't this a fun day in church? Up to this point in the Old Testament, we see the Israelite people taking two steps forward to a better life. And then it feels like a hundred steps back to a life of enslavement, destruction, and ultimately death. What has happened to our once faithful Israel, the people of God who are about to enter into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey? Our scripture passage today gives us a clue. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. I am the mother of two. My daughter, Mary, is nearly three, and my daughter, Annabelle, just turned nine months. And I often wonder what it would be like if I left them alone for just one hour and they did whatever they saw fit. Undoubtedly, Annabelle would head straight for the light socket and take her little finger and try to wedge it in there, or she would find a plugged-in cord and just start chewing on it. There is no telling what mischief Mary would get into, but she would definitely ensure that Annabelle did not get in her way and do one of her two favorite moves at the moment. One is to either jump and karate kick Annabelle in the head And the other is to literally try to pick her up and toss her out of the way. There would definitely be a lot of screaming and tears and destruction in this hour. And all of that would probably begin within the first five minutes of my absence and spiral down afterwards. This is not too different than what happened to the Israelite people. They just did as they saw fit. It is no wonder that when we read later in the verse in chapter 21, the people sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord God of Israel, they cried. What has happened to Israel? I know why Mary and Annabel would do what they would do. They are children. They do not know better. But what about these Israelites? These are grown men. They have been given instructions directly by God on how to live. They literally have the presence of God with them in the Ark of the Covenant. And God will happily elect leaders amongst them to direct them and to give them God's instructions. So why are they in this big mess? The most unhealthy of the 12 tribes at the time were the Benjamites. They were dwelling in a town that also inhabited by the Canaanites, who were known as a wicked and idolatrous people. It is said that the Canaanites engaged in such horrific acts as child sacrifice. When the other Israelite tribes learn of what was done to an Israelite woman who was raped and killed by the Benjamites, they were outraged and called for the tribe of Benjamin to hand over the evil men who had done this. Instead of confessing their guilt and turning them in, the Benjamites readied themselves for battle against their own people. A commentator put it this way abuse, murder, and Israelites fighting Israelites, all of these things result from extreme individualism that had arisen amongst the 12 tribes. The people no longer understood themselves as God's covenant community. The Benjamites had lived amongst the Canaanites for so long, they had become numb to their sinful ways. Not only that, but the Benjamites seemed to have lost their identity as children of God and taken taken on more characteristics of what a Canaanite is than what an Israelite was. To that extreme, they cannot even recognize why the other tribes would be outraged at the murder of this innocent woman. These Israelites had lost their way. They had literally lost their identity of who they were and who their leader was, which was God. Now, this is an extreme example of when we lose our way, when we find identity in falsehoods and we lead a life unto ourselves. But we are not so different from these Israelites. We, too, struggle to be in the world, but not of the world. We find our identity in things other than God on a daily basis. In the spring of 2006, I was working at a church as a youth intern, and a student in my youth group accidentally kicked off my left kneecap. Yeah, that's a story for a different day, but this led me to having to wear a brace down my whole left leg, For six weeks. The worst part was I drove a stick shift at the time, so I could not use my clutch. Thankfully, my older brother Casey was living in the same town as me at the time, and he had an automatic and graciously offered to exchange cars with me. This was not exactly a fair exchange. I drove a 10-year-old gold Saturn that I had driven since I was in high school That's passenger side window, did not roll down, and the trunk would spontaneously pop open. (laughs) Casey drove a 2004 luxury car with all of the bells and whistles. During those six weeks, I loved the attention I got driving this car. I would take my time loading the groceries into the trunk so people could see what a nice automobile some 24-year-old, 24-year-old girl was driving. And even though it was excruciatingly uncomfortable to drive, even an automatic with that leg brace, I would always offer to drive my friends so we could ride in such luxury and style. I probably put like 10,000 miles on that car in the six weeks that I had it. So needless to say, it was a rude awakening when my car was returned to me. Looking back now, I am a bit embarrassed that I found such self worth in what I drove. And to think it wouldn't even last. That car would be 15 years old today. It had a cassette player. No one would be giving me a second glance in the Safeway parking lot. But yet, even today, I continue to find identity and things in things that will be fading away in fashion, in physical appearance, in intelligence, in monetary wealth. This is one reason I love the season of Lent so much. It illumines for us the false realities we are living under and redirects us to a path that leads to a richer and fuller and more meaningful life. This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, a day which marks the beginning of Lent, Lent is the 46 days leading up to Easter. It is an opportunity to take a look at our lives, to look at the blind spots in our walk of faith, things that have distracted us from our true identity as a God's child, to look up and see how far we have lost our way from the path of faithful obedience. In the past, I have taken on disciplines that have challenged cultural promises of worth. I gave up makeup for one Lent and found that people were not as repulsed by my bare face as I once thought they might be. For one Lent, I wore the same outfit the entire season and discovered that no one cared as much about my fashion as I did. Each of these practices made me keenly aware of how easily I was led astray by the lies of this world. When we lose our way, when we place our identity in things other than God, we find a life of unfulfillment. We are tempted more into sinful behavior. And ultimately, it leads us to a life further and further away from God. When Jesus speaks to his disciples in the Gospel of John, and he refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life, it is in the context of guiding them back to God, back to wholeness. The Benjamite tribe had lost track of who they were in the greater picture. They had lived for themselves. They abandoned their people group and sought lives of their own fulfillment. They no longer heeded God's words or lived by the Ten Commandments. However, their sin, be it as horrendous as it was, did not exclude them from the powerful love of God. The good news of this story is God's mercy and grace is more radical and redemptive than we could ever imagine. Though many died from the tribe of Benjamin through their disobedience and evilness, God continued to make a way for them to come back. It was through this tribe that God called the first king of Israel. This is true for us. We gather today at the communion table, realizing our own sin and waywardness, and yet we celebrate together as a community the goodness and the love of Christ who gives us a way back, who demonstrates for us our identity as a child of God, we are worth that much that he gave up his life, that we may have eternal life. We are not too far gone. We are not lost without hope. We are indeed beloved, forgiven, and redeemed. Thanks be to a God who is continually seeking us out, finding the lost, and guiding us back to a path that is paved with mercy Forgiveness and love.